There's a crisp in the air. I can feel it. It's October baseball. What's up? Good people of the Bad Signal podcast. The Bad Signal podcast brought to you by Better Edge. I'm your host, Courtney Fallon. Steve Armato is here to preview the game. It's a winner take all. Game seven feel. I was there last Sunday. It was embarrassing. I wouldn't even tell you that I was at the Red Sox and Yankees game. It was that bad. They got swept out of town. John Jastrzemski didn't even show up on that game. But tonight is the night. What is up, my friend? You overly optimistic Yankee fan. Myself, ace in the hole Red Sox fan. I know that they're taking this one home tonight. Shades of Aaron Bleep and Boone. And it's going to be uh, a misery for the Yankees for uh, for the next nine months. How do you, what do you say? Wow, that's bold. By the way, happy to be back. By the way, so th- thank <laughs> yes. you for that. Um, I mean, look, I <laughs> you just threw that you just threw that at me like that. I actually do think the Yankees are going to win the game tonight. Now, I'm a little concerned where they're getting offense from because the lineup that just came out is. They're basically trying to win 2-0 tonight. Okay. You know. All right. All right. Well, I, I think that there are some, as we all know from the Patriots and Bucks games, we go by statistics now. You know, we go by the next-gen stats, and even Hall of Fame head coaches like Bill Belichick are going to be, like, double-checking the numbers to make sure that they can go for it on fourth and three or kick a field goal. So I believe that the Yankees and the under in this game in these particular games are more likely to hit than not they are not looking typically you'd say it's like a 7-6 game or a 7-5 game they are going straight defense for the New York Yankees and they know that they can do that because regardless of Garrett Cole has a really shitty outing or it's the same the reflections of what Chris Sale did a couple of nights ago where he pitched two innings. They pulled him in the second. They went deep into the bullpen. Sale, by the way, not even on the roster tonight for the Red Sox. But um, the Yankees going going heavy, heavy on that bullpen because they can't. Yeah, and also I think a big thing tonight that a lot of people – Maybe not a lot of people are missing, but no J.D. Martinez for the Red Sox. I think that's going to hurt that lineup a little bit. Now, I understand that they that they mash at home, but if you look at the numbers, like the Yankees, two of their best hitters actually have Stanton and Judge have really good numbers against the Evaldi, and it's in like a pretty large sample size. Evaldi, it's Evaldi. Everyone Evaldi. keeps saying it's Evaldi. I was listening to a couple of shows, like national shows, and I was like, oh my goodness, really? Evaldi. It's Valdi, Nate Valdi. Okay, Nate Valdi. So yes. now he's, he's not Evaldi. one of my favorites. I will say this about Valdi: <laughs> he like made me put my foot in my mouth a few times early in the season because I was talking about how he's so inconsistent and he's not that good, and then he goes and throws like six shutout innings. Yep. But tonight. You got Stanton, nine for 30, two doubles and two home runs off him. So that's a 300 average, two doubles, two home runs. Aaron Judge, nine for 23, two doubles and a home run off of him. And then you got, this is a small sample size, Anthony Rizzo's five for nine with three doubles against Evaldi. Those are basically the boppers in the Yankees lineup tonight. That's where the offense is coming from. That scares me a little bit. On the other hand, on the other hand, Garrett Cole hasn't been like that Cy Young Garrett Cole over his last few games. He's only last- he's only making $38 million this year. I mean, right. good good grief. I mean, 38 mil. By the way, if he, <laughs> he better, out- I mean, like if he loses this game. Oh, I was just going to say. If he uh, comes out and lays happen? an egg, oh, the what? media is going to crush him. 
Well, so our buddy John Jaskremski was on the show, and I, I, you know what? I might not just do that. I'm just going to enter the clip right here about what he said about Aaron Boone, and could his time come? The Yankees hired Aaron Boone. They were fresh off of going to Game 7 of the ALCS against the yep. Houston Astros. Yeah. They haven't come as close since he's mm-hmm. become the manager. They lost to the Red Sox. They flamed out in 2019. Last year, they lose to Tampa. Weird year, COVID year. But if the Yankees are not in the playoffs, I mean, they were the American League favorites to go and represent the AL in the World Series. Yeah. You're going to tell me if they miss the playoffs or they lose in a wild card game, you're extending Aaron Boone for the next three or four years? You're the Yankees. Are, yeah. are, are you kidding me? Like, how? Yeah. Like the, the Yankee fan base, Courtney, is going to lose their mind if they yeah. lose this week and next week, and they're out of the playoffs, and they're like, hey, Aaron, you're coming back for three more years. Yankee fans going to be like, what the fuck? Aaron Boone, if they lose this game, he's Yeah, gone. he's out. Yep. He's so done. you agree. So you agree with the clip that I just ran. Yeah, and um, I would say the same as um, the Yankees – just given the Red Sox were up what ten games on them to buy the by the yep. trade deadline, they 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 made some aggressive moves. They proved to the world that they wanted to move, win now, which the Red Sox totally did not. Uh, you know, I I would say that the Yankee season to me at least, you know, they did well. I for what they were in the middle of the summer, the, no. they needed those acquisitions. Like, they, but the thing was, yeah. I never. Un- I never understood the Gallo acquisition because if you look at their lineup, right, they have a bunch of guys who walk and hit home runs and don't really hit for average. And they just brought in the same guy just as a lefty. Now Rizzo made a lot more sense to me because of the type of player that he is great defense at first base. He makes contact. He'll hit the ball over the field, but like the Gallo sign it, the Gallo trade, which I know they have him for next year, but they just added another guy who was similar to the problems they were already having. And like Yankee fans want to run this guy out of town, by the way. Yeah. I mean, they want to run everybody out of town. They were trading Stanton for a bucket of baseballs in May. And now look at the guy. I mean, I will say this, though. Tonight, you mentioned the weather, 57 degrees. Garrett Cole is is we know he's a sticky stuff guy. He's come out and like just lied to the media about it. If it's cold tonight, like you said, and he can't get a grip on the baseball, he's going to run into some issues. And that scares the hell out of me tonight. I love it. And not only that, let's get back to the Red Sox pitcher. Nate Evaldi, the last time that he was out on the mound, he was pissed the way that he was pitching. And he's a better pitcher at home, first of all, than he is on the road, even though pitching in Yankee Stadium is like a little league ballpark. We all know what the power is over, you know, with, with that with that short porch and left at Fenway Park. But he was crushed in September in the Bronx. Um, he got seven earned runs on two and two thirds. Um, he's never allowed more than two earned runs against them in five other starts. So I, I would say that Avaldi is coming in here. I think Chris Sale came into Alex Cora's office and he was like, I want to pitch. Cora said, no, sat him down, not on the roster. I think that there is a reason that Alex Cora is picking Nate Avaldi. I think he's been their strongest suitor. The problem that I have is, Who's going to be the closer in a winning situation? Is it going to be Hansel Robles? Is it going to be Adam Adovino? I don't like either of them. I agree with you there. So this is why I'm my lean is Yankees on this. Yeah. Because since Severino's come back from the DL, he's been very good. And Jonathan Loizaga also been very good. He's actually been taking saves away from Chapman because Chapman's stunk late in the yeah. year. 
I like if if you get into this situation now, this could end if if Cole gets lit up early, this is out the window. But I like the combination of Cole, Severino, Loizaga better than I like Nady Evaldi, and then who are we piecing together after this? And yeah. I used to I look, I watched a lot of Hansel Robles as a Mets fan. <sighs> I watched awful. a lot of him. He could I- implode. I, yeah, the, the Red Sox pitching is definitely not one of their strong hands. Um, I am actually part of me is kind of happy that JD Martinez is not in the lineup tonight. I know that they said that it would be it would take a catastrophic strong hand of God for him to come back after tripping over second base. He's on a hot streak, and I really only want him on his team when he's when he's hitting balls on the park. I mean, that's a guy that's that streakier. Um, you know, um, than anything, I can't still come up with a funny, come up with a funny. Uh, it's just, he, he's a, he is very streaky. It's tough to come up. Very with. streaky. It's like, oh wow, JD, you care? Perhaps he doesn't know. Perhaps he can't decide whether he cares or not with this game. But if they face the Tampa Bay Rays in the next round, good riddance. They um, he might care just just a little bit. Red Sox at the very bottom of that um, that World Series predictions chart. I think they're plus. 16 to one to win this, to win the series who you got in the other, who you got in the other wild card game. That's not tonight, but tomorrow night. So brief me on some, brief me on some Dodgers and Cardinals here. I I am actually pretty surprised that the card, that the Dodgers have bailed out. I I think that you have to tad tip to the San Francisco giants for being as good as they have. I am actually very surprised that the, the Dodgers have put themselves in this situation. Yeah, I so I think I saw a crazy stat last week. It was before the last game. It was before the last three games of the regular season. But I think since they acquired Turner and Scherzer, they were 43 and 10 and they only gained one game on the Giants. That's how good the Giants had been in that time. Now, Mm -hmm. this is a, a thing. Cardinals are the hottest team in baseball right now. They went they won 17 straight to get into the playoffs. You got Scherzer. You got Wainwright. You're. You have two studs now. Scherzer's last two starts of the season, not very good. I feel like that's really an exception. Not that's more of an outlier than anything else. The guy's a gamer. Yeah. We all know that. He's a he's a bulldog. He's going to show up ready to pitch. I I hate that the Dodgers have to play in this wild card game. The Dodgers have the second best record in baseball, and they have to play a one game elimination. And in baseball, one game anything can happen. Anything can happen. And you're playing the Cardinals who always show up with this like devil magic and end up winning games that they shouldn't win. And this is a recipe where looking at it from a betting angle, there's no value in betting on the Dodgers. The Dodgers are minus 225. All the values on the Cardinals at plus one and a half because that game is going to be a one run game if you go Scherzer and Wainwright right there. Yeah. I, oh man, I hate that I'm saying this, but I really do think the Cardinals are going to pull the upset tomorrow night. I, I okay. Well, you know, an even better bet is is betting the uh, betting a double parlay of who you think is going to win tonight and the Cardinals because I think there's some you can get I almost a plus four ninety eight odds if you bet the Red Sox and the Cardinals to win both of those games and some pretty good odds I think plus two hundred two fifty odds you want to do Yankees and Cardinals. That's still great, still great right there. Yeah. I just I hate that the the reason I hate this 
especially for the Dodgers. Now everyone's going to say, all right, win your one game and you get in. Okay. But they played 162 games. They were the second best team in all of baseball. Right. Mm-hmm. And now even if they win that game, they have to play the best team in baseball. So they don't even get to the LCS. They don't, they have to yeah. play the best team to get the, and it sucks for the giants too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could, I I'm looking at these teams and these are some of the best teams that you thought were going to be, uh, you know, they were going to be ranked, but now they're stuck in a wild card position. I guess we'll just have to see some October heroics. Are you, this is your most exciting season of all the months of the seasons. This is, this is where Steve thrives. This is, this is exactly where I thrive. This is like, um, I'm tuned in to everything that's going on. And I, man, I look, I have my, my like prediction was that the Brewers were going to come out of the NL. And then Devin Williams went and broke his hand punching a wall when they clinched the, the central last week and he's out for the playoffs. So now your best setup man is gone. Mm -hmm. So now I, I think the AL is going to come down to hitting because I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I don't really love the white Sox staff. I don't love the race staff and the Astro staff is, is okay. And then Garrett Cole is the best pitcher on the AL side and he might go home tonight. So I think the AL is going to come down to hitting where the NL is going to come down to pitching. And that's the, I mean, the Brewers rotation is sick, but the Dodgers rotation is sick. The Giants rotation has been good all year. It's really hard for me to say, oh, the Giants aren't going to come out of the NL when they want to, they, they were the best team in baseball all year when everybody trashed them all year long. Like, oh, they're going to fall back. They're going to fall back. They never fell back. So what, what do I do here? What I do is I place futures bets on all of them because they're all like plus 750 and more. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. So you just, this is the time when you sprinkle. Is this also the time switching gears? Is this also the time you're going to place uh, the an MVP future bet on Kyla Murray at plus 500? Because yes. it looks like the Cardinals are 4 0. You know, the one thing that I will take away, first of all, if you listened to the bad signal bets, if you faded Fallon, you lost all of your money this weekend. I went six of seven with my bets, Kidding. adding to the total of five of six from the week before. You are a very rich, rich man or a woman. You also, I got it. You also crushed me on, on Rams Cardinals. Oh, yes. I know we were trying to do, well, we were trying to do a, a better edge bet, by the way. This segment and this show is brought to you by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting at betteredge.com. You, not the books, you set the price lines so you can make bank with no VIG or no sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting positions as Steve and I are talking about it. Create an account right now. Go to betteredge.com. Use code Fallon for $10 off of your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Steve, I killed you on a on a bet, and you're so lucky. You, you owe me $50. I'm going big on the Rams. And I said, nope, Cardinals all day. That was a horrible that, – that like – looked it looked good after like a drive and then it was it was over they blew the doors off yeah um this week very very interesting matchups obviously we'll get to some of those uh what were your thoughts on on Derek Carr getting blown out last night and what really last couple of last couple of um of games including our good Tom Brady's return home to New England and we will have my good friend Chris Gasper on here uh to just kind of make some more sense for everyone that just needs more content on Brady and Belichick and Belichick 
and Brady's return to New England and that embrace and the hug. And it seems like Bill was, you know, the, the bigger person in this. But um, exciting primetime games, I'm not really so sure. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots-Bucks game kind of lulled you to sleep a little bit. It yeah. Was, it was more... It was more defensive than anybody really would have liked. I did have the Pats at plus six and a half. I just didn't. So I just didn't think that Brady was going to come into Gillette and blow the doors off the Patriots. I didn't think that was everybody thought that he was going to come out and have this huge game. But like, I just Bill Belichick is still a great coach. Like everybody Mm -hmm. wants to compare, you know, oh, who was it? Brady or Belichick? They worked together and that's why they were good for so many years. So it wasn't – I never thought that he was going to go in there and just blow the doors off them. Did I think they were going to win the game? Yes, that I think – I got it six and a half by the time it moved. It opened up at like seven and a half. I still thought that was too big because if you would have adjusted the numbers, right? If you would have adjusted the numbers at the opening line for the two and a half points you get as the home team, if the Bucks were at home, they would have been like a 10-point favorite. When's the yeah. last – like the Belichick team is not losing by by 10 or th- – Well, I – I think I think that defensively, Todd Bowles put together a fantastic um, game plan for Mac Jones. He, he, I mean, he's a tough kid. He was getting knocked around in the pocket. There was a lot of blitz coverage, and good. I think that he fared somewhat well. Okay, so it's you know once again, and you'll hear our next guest say that a lot of people are thinking that Mac Jones is a lot better and a lot farther ahead than Tom Brady was in his rookie season. Remember that he, Tom's rookie season, he did not play he didn't play until november that's the one the one season 2001 you're thinking of with his sophomore year um with the paths when the mo lewis hit changed the fates of new england patriots fans forever but um i i just um i i think that patriots run defense is absolutely abysmal they can't run the ball either they're gonna have to make some sort of a trade on offense uh, for the offensive line because I, it could get worse. It really could. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know that I said this last year when Cam Newton was a quarterback. It could get a lot worse before it could get better because this was the cupcake part of the schedule for Pats fans, and it's, it kind of scares me. I'm I'm thinking back to those preseason preseason futures numbers. It was like, will the Pats miss the playoffs? And I'm I'm thinking – that's almost a guarantee for me right now. And I'm, I typically, I wouldn't say that it's only week five. I don't think there's any, I don't think they, there's any way in hell they can compete with anyone in the AFC in the AFC. Yeah. The, the top tier teams. Yeah. I, it's just not looking great right no, now. No, no, But at least you got the jets twice, right? <laughs> you always have the jets twice. You always have the jets. Twice. Yeah. And I mean, I mean the dolphins looking like a, a, that, look that bad. team looks, yeah, they're real bad. They look real bad. They look awful. The, I mean, the the AFC East looks like. I mean, look. I I know. I said I didn't think the Bills were were that good early in the season, and oh, I'm sticking. They've to been it. blowing out teams by by over ten plus points. They've been blowing out teams, game. and like they've been blowing teams out. But like, even they blew Washington out two weeks ago, right? Yeah. I was watching that game, and I was like, they're blowing them out, but it looks unimpressive. <laughs> like I was like, it still looks like an unimpressive blowout, but they're winning by forty <laughs> points. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Who are you saying that to is the question, man. Yeah, I I was just watching. You know what? I was like watching it through and I was like, oh, like Josh Allen has like 80 passing yards and like, yeah, yeah. First quarter and a half. I was like, I was like, I don't know. They look unimpressive, but they, they, you know what? They came out. There were 17 and a half point favorites against the Texans and they won 40 to nothing. That was, that was insane. Yeah. Patriots lose to the Texans. I think that that division is going to be won by like week 14. 
Well, 13. yeah, man. I know. Remember when, we, remember when we said that we weren't buying in on over over 11 and a half games? I think that's a given at this, at this point. At this point, they look like the team to they. I mean, they are the team to beat. They, but they look they look better than advertised. I'm not, you know, I want to see them play. I want to see them play the likes of the. I don't even know who the upper tier teams are in the AFC right now. I think the Chargers. Oh, the Chargers. I think uh, the, the Raiders. Chargers, Chargers, the Raiders, and uh, the Browns. Browns are and good the Broncos. Broncos. Oh man, they. That, yeah, I would say they, those. I would say those are the top tier teams. I love Justin Herbert, by the way. He. Looks, oh yeah, no, he's. He, uh, how much so how much we how how much we love our uh, well you know it's like it's like talk shit about all the rookie quarterbacks write in all the second year guys that we love so much we should i mean I, we'll put we'll put mvp votes uh, put mvp on all of them like kyler obviously I, yeah yeah i mean we got we got we got some things to think about for later in this week i mean there's there's a lot of big surprises zach wilson made some some big boy big ball throws he did, uh, but the, but he he still plays for the Jets, though. Like, it's uh, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that situation. <laughs> oh man! Well, predictions for tonight, Steve Armato, the Yankees and the Red Sox, and what wager are we placing? All right, I got. I got oh. in tandem on the Better Edge website. We are signing. Well, no, he's already signed up. If oh. you want to get into this bet, oh, by the way, I, I, you know, I already threw down $100 on the Red Sox, and I was trying to say, everyone come get a piece of it, but apparently my bet, like, sprinkled on a bunch of different bets to lock in. Oh. So, oh. so I, I'm, I'm confirming my own, my own bias and locking in my bet with the Red Sox. All right. I, I, have to, I have to lock in Yankees' money line. Okay. I just think, look, I just – I Yankees' like, money line in the under? Is that what we're playing? Yeah, eight and a half, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be under. Have you seen the Yankees lineup? Like the Yankees lineup tonight? Well, here's the thing. This is the this is the thing. If the Yankees win the game, it's going to be under because they're not going to. They're they might get four max. And if the Red Sox win the game, it's probably going over. To be okay. With you. So I'll take I'll take Red Sox money line in the over. You're taking Yankees money line and the under. Under. That's right. And the under. And, and I we- will. What? And then we could talk about, and th- then we could talk about who's that basically we're we're pushing off who's going to lose to the Rays in the LDS right now. Yeah, it doesn't that's a it's a scary proposition here. All right, Steve Armato, the the bet is set. The bet is set. That's Thanks, right. man. Thank Thanks, you for man. having me. This is fun. Let's. Oh yeah, let's always go, fun. Let's and good luck tonight. I know this is big for you. Elimination game. So good luck. We'll see who comes out on top. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I sent some sarcasm in there. <laughs> no sarcasm needed over here. I'm all in my Red Sox. Hopefully, I don't regret making that bet. Speaking of bets, you know that me and Steve, if you've been listening to the show for the last couple of weeks, we're starting to get very competitive about our picks. And our picks are brought to you by Better Edge, bringing the edge back to the betters with no-fee sports betting. That is where we place all of our bets head-to-head. I'm going to place a bet tonight on the Red Sox, and anyone can come and take my money on the other side. How does it work? You go to betteredge.com. You sign up for an account. 
You use the code Fallon, you get $10 and you see everything that we got going on. We've got competitions. We've got betting specials. We let you pick the line. Yeah, that's right. It is all on the Better Edge community. So again, Bad Signal brought to you by BetterEdge.com. Better Edge, play the game without getting played. Well, this next interview his name is Chris Gasper. He used to be a senior columnist for the Boston Globe, but now he is all over the map and he has a wealth of knowledge on the New England Patriots. So without further ado, my conversation with WCVB and 98.5 The Sports Hubs, Chris Gasper. Let's just get right to it. I feel like this is such a polarizing week for Patriots fans that they're choosing sides, so to speak. You know, your your team Bill, your team Kraft, your team Tom Brady, but... Patriots fans really shouldn't have to choose between the two, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, look, obviously the Crafts at some point had to choose between the two, but I hear what you're saying. I think you can have a great appreciation for what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady accomplished in their 20 years together in the six Super Bowls and all that and, and still, you know, root for your team. But I think here's the thing, Courtney, even while these guys were here, this was a theoretical debate. Like, who matters more? Who is more important? Who has a bigger stake in the success of this dynasty? Who's ultimately on the top metal platform, you know, of the metal stand of history? Is it Brady or is it Belichick? Somebody has to be the gold medalist. Somebody has to be the silver medalist. Well, now it's like they're going to play a game. So I think people feel like what was a theoretical argument is now going to be an actual competitive contest. And that's kind of cool. I think I think that that's kind of a cool thing to see these two guys play it out in person. And I think you can appreciate that while still having an appreciation for what they accomplished together. Yeah. Well, I feel like fans in general, they love their quarterbacks more than they love their coach. I don't think that's true here. I'm going to be honest. I think people like the coach more than any of the players. The coach is the face of the franchise. uh, Okay. I mean, like, listen, I'm, I love them both, but I'm 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 team Bill. And one of the okay. things that like really kind of I don't know bothered me. I think Tom or was it a quote from Seth Wickersham's book or Guerrero or whoever is the mouthpiece for Tom said Tom when he was towards the end of his tenure in New England, Belichick treated him like he was a 20-year-old kid and not a 40-year-old man being there for 20 years and winning six Super Bowls. I mean, here's my problem. That's Bill. Bill is not going to change his stripes for anyone, whether it's a Hall of Fame quarterback or the guy who took him to six Super Bowls and put six rings on his hand. Like, is there anything wrong with the Belichick way? Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the things that Bill has always said throughout the course of his time there, Courtney, is I do what's in the best interest of the team, right? And I've always said that's like a catch-all for don't pin me down philosophically. Maybe in one circumstance, I did this, but that doesn't mean when that circumstance comes up again, I'm going to do the exact same thing. So I would sort of apply that to Brady at some point, I think for Bill, and you're dead on in terms of his processing. And this is where I think it's a little bit of a blind spot for Bill. You look at his background, you know, he grew up in Annapolis, his dad uh, worked at the Naval Academy, he was around that, you know, when you're in the Naval Academy, and you're in any sort of you know, situation like that, that's very hierarchical and very based on process, you mm-hmm. start to believe that it's about the process and that it's sort of process over people to a degree that if you just follow the process as a collective, you can get it done. Unfortunately, pro sports doesn't work that way. Special people require special treatment because you get special results when you have them. And I think 
that's maybe where Bill sort of failed to heed his own advice is do what's in the best interest of the team. Okay, yes, this is the way that I am and this is what I believe. But to keep this thing together and to keep this quarterback here for this one guy, I'm going to have to have to act slightly differently for, I don't know, what, two years or three years at the end of his career. I think he should have made that allowance because Tom reached a point and it's in the Wickersham book and and the podcast. And what comes through is Tom reached a point where he wanted to be more than just a quarterback. I think he wanted to be kind of like a junior partner in the Patriots. Let's say it's a law firm, right? He wanted to be like a junior partner. You know, he didn't want to just be somebody like going through the paperwork anymore. And you can, we can debate whether that's right, whether he has that right or not. That's a fair debate. But the reality is that's what it was going to take to keep him. That's what would have been in the best interest of the team. And I think that's where Bill draws some of that um, criticism for this situation is that, again, did he really heed his own advice? And you look at them on the field too, right, Courtney? They'll yeah. change their defense, their offense in a heartbeat, okay? They're very adaptable. They're d- very flexible. And I think he needed to display that same adaptability and flexibility in his relationship with Tom Brady to make it work at the end. Well, you're talking law firms. I'm thinking Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis. <laughs> I, I, also, I also know that Randall Gay, Blue Randall Gay, is a lawyer now because when I covered the Patriots five years ago, I ran into him and Ty Law or someone at Patriot Place. He gave me his business card. I found that business card recently. He is a lawyer. That's awesome. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Where do we want to pivot here? Well, talking about the Wickersham book, it's funny because one of the last podcasts that I did before I took a nice long six month hiatus, uh, Seth was alluding to this book, which I still can't get my hands on. It's back ordered. I'm getting it at the end. Oh, come on. Got it right here. I, I've read some of it, some of it. You know, it's it's long. I sort of skipped ahead to like the 2016, 2017, 2018 years. Oh, you jerk. I, I literally am like, yo, can I get a copy of the book? Can How I do you not have a copy of the book? book? Dude, and he's like, pre-order it. So I finally did it like two days ago and, it, and I'm not going to get it until the end of October. So I I might have to meet up with you to, okay. to steal the book so I can, I, I can go that way. Um, <laughs> Well, money and input are really the reasons that that Tom left. It's Tom wanted to be loved. Tom wanted to be himself. And I feel like, you know, now that's what he's emerged into. He is a businessman. The fact that he wasn't loved, has it catapulted him to the person that he is today? So it's almost to me, if it wasn't for Bill being hard on him, then he wouldn't have the success or be who he is today. Yeah, I mean, Bill Belichick obviously played a huge role in his development and I think sort of pushed him, right? Bill's almost like the impossible to please father that you're always trying to please, always trying to please. And there's no question that pushed Tom Brady to greater heights. I think as he got towards the end of his career and they had won, you know, five and then six Super Bowls together, I think he just wanted to sort of get an attaboy from Bill. And that's like you said, that's not Bill's way. You know, again, I talked to Rob Ninkovich um, for an interview with WCVB. And he said to me that Bill was more complimentary of him during his like retirement than he, and then during the entire time he played for the Patriots from 09 to 16. That's just not the way Bill is. And I think it's been noticeable this week, just how uh, laudatory Bill has been of Brady. And I think that's not a coincidence. I think that it's so much easier for Bill 
to give these guys the due that they they deserve and that they need when he's not coaching them and he's not trying to get the most out of them, right? Like yeah. when he's coaching them, he's trying to push them and it's like, I got to get more out of them. No matter how good you are, I don't care if you're Tom Brady or anybody else, no matter how good you are, Bill's trying to get you to play better, to play at an even higher level. And I think at a certain point, like to your point about Tom, he just kind of became like so famous that he was able to sort of build like a lot of famous people build his own sort of bubble where like there yeah. was like no negativity, his own sort of um, they call it a reality distortion field when it was with Steve Jobs. There Steve Jobs would create a reality distortion field, people at Apple would say. And Brady was able to do that in terms of no negativity. But then he's going to work and he's getting tons of negativity because that's how Bill coached and that's how Bill felt like he'd gotten the best out of him for you know 18, 19 years. So I think from that standpoint, you look at it and say maybe it was just destined to – it's kind of like a relationship, right? People people yeah. evolve, people change, and maybe they grow apart, and that's sort of, I think, what happened to these two guys. Tom's dad is a little outspoken. It's like, you know, Tom has this this air and this class about him that, you know, he's very non-confrontational, but he'll have his outlets. Like, you'll hear what he has to say. Who is the real mouthpiece for Tom? That's a great question. I mean, I'll say this, like in terms of, I would lean more towards Guerrero than Tom Brady Sr. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Brady Sr. is a very proud dad. Um, you know, I think he can be an emotional guy and he's that way with all of his children. And I think obviously like any parent, if you were the parent of the greatest football player of all time, you'd also be emotionally invested in that child's success. I think Tom Sr. has a tendency to sort of go rogue. You know, and people yeah. say, oh, you know, that's Tom, you know, doing it through his dad. I don't think so. Just knowing, um, you know, Tom Sr. a little bit. I mean, you got to remember, you know, Tom Sr. is his own man. He's a very successful businessman. Uh, he's, he's uh, you know, a 60-something-year-old adult. It's like anytime you deal with your parents, they always have opinions on your life yeah. and your yeah. job. And it's very hard to silence them. So when Tom Brady Sr. said what he said to Tom Curran, while I think some of those feelings reflect Brady's feelings in terms of, you know, feeling like um, there's some vindication there. I don't think it was like, hey, dad, go out there and say this. I, I think Tom Brady Sr. just got excited and sort of went rogue, which he's done in the past. Guerrero's thing I thought was more interesting because Guerrero used the word we a lot in his interview with Karen Grieg. You know, we made it through. And I think at the core of the, the Belichick-Brady breakup is really 2017. You remember that Brady's launching this TB12 brand. Like he's really trying to take it, Courtney, like national, internationally as the book and all this other stuff. And Guerrero's his business partner and the, the, the godfather of one of his kids. And Bill banishes him from the building and the team plane. I think that was a major, major fault line in this relationship. And I think that uh, Alex Guerrero has his own issues with Bill Belichick and has sort of always felt that Bill maybe didn't appreciate what Alex did to get Tom to play at the level he played, which ultimately has benefited Bill. And I think that, um, you know, the whole Guerrero situation is something that sort of bothered Tom. And they look at, you know, 2016, 2017 and sort of say like, hey, you know, why did you have to, you know, break us down and, and break it down and make it more difficult? Uh, why couldn't I just have my guy around? And, and I so I think that uh, if there's one person who's a mouthpiece, it's probably Guerrero. Rick Stroud was saying that uh, Alex Guerrero 
is a, like a, a major figure. You can't go through Tom if you don't go through Alex Guerrero. And he said that he has half of the team, half of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going and getting treated at TB12, which is a mile from the facility in this no-name building. And like, like, think about that, you know? And I even asked him, I said, have you talked to some of the team trainers and how they feel about that? And he's like, well, you know, they're very tight-lipped, but... Tom's going to have his way and Tom is going to continue with this astronomical climb that he has. And if Alex Guerrero is going to make him win Super Bowls and, you know, touch his magic arm, then so be it. Yeah. And I think that was one of the issues, right? With, with, with the Patriots. I think they, you know, we all know yeah. that um, the buck stops with Bill and that he has a great deal of control in that building and that to a degree, you know, Bill's the ultimate control freak and it's worked for him his entire career. That's why he's been so successful. He's a detail oriented guy and he knows how he wants everything done. And so Alex Guerrero was there sort of at the end is like this interloper in his mind is more and more guys, particularly Gronk, who's also returning, we think for this game, yeah. you know, started to go to TB 12 in, in new England. And that was an issue because he, he was Guerrero was seen as a threat to both the Patriots doctors and to their doctrine, right? And mm -hmm. so now in Tampa, it seems like they're okay with it. Like, I'm sure they don't love it, but they're going to put up with it because they're like, this is what comes along with Tom Brady and what Tom Brady can do. And I think you sort of see that difference, right? I mean, that yeah. is definitely an allowance. Like, there's not a lot of players in the league that get to bring their personal trainer and then basically have their personal trainer, you know, uh, working with half the team. There's not a lot of yeah. guys that would allow that. And I can tell you teams don't like that. But they'll put up with it because, like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, special people get special treatment. That's life. It might not be fair, but that's life. He was also saying that Tom Brady is the de facto GM, that he called Richard Sherman before Jason Light did. And Jason Light doesn't make him that happy to hear that. But Tom has free reign down there and certainly something that was not going to happen up here in New England. Quickly before we hit on the homecoming and return and, oh, will there be a handshake or a hug or oh, no? There's like Vegas odds and all that stuff. What's your take <laughs> on, on Robert Kraft's play in this? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of respect, obviously, for Robert Kraft. I think you read the Wickersham book, which I know you will do eventually. Yes, and, I will. Uh, and, and he gets a lot of credit for holding this thing together longer than it probably would have lasted. However, yeah. where I would say Robert Kraft made a tactical mistake is this. Between Brady and Belichick, if you're going to, you know, basically ride one of those horses, you can't switch halfway through the race. And that's pretty much what they did. In 2017, they put their money on Tom. They said, okay, we're going to go with Tom. That's our horse. And, you know, Bill Belichick, whether he was explicitly told or he just sort of felt, based on circumstances, really felt like he was forced to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, something he yeah. did not want to do. And we have to remember, you know, Bill gets a lot of criticism for not having a succession plan. He had a succession plan. They just didn't yeah. let him execute it. They chose to stay with Brady. But if you're going to choose to do that, then you have to back Brady all the way through, even if that means losing Bill. And then they got to a certain point where they felt like, okay, you know, Bill probably is a coach, GM, 
has more longevity than Tom. And this is like 18, 19. So now we're going to yeah. switch horses and we're going to say Bill's our guy and we're not going to intervene in these contract things and, and tell Billy has to sign Tom to a long-term contract or give Tom what he wants. So I think that was the mistake they made. Once they backed Brady, they had to back him to the end, even if it meant, and this is mentioned in the Wickersham book, you know, losing Bill and having to replace him with Bill O'Brien or something yeah. like that. You know, you can't switch horses halfway and that's what they did. And that's why, and ultimately you end up with nobody really being happy and the situation sort of, you know, blew up in their face where you still have Bill Belichick, but you don't have a succession plan and you don't have Tom Brady. It's the worst of all worlds. Well, the homecoming is happening on Sunday. I, I, I think they said that nightly news is going live on, on really? at Gillette Stadium on Friday. Yeah. Like, wow. They're blowing this a little out of proportion, but okay. what can you expect? Just sort of set the scene for me about what you what you think is going to happen. I mean, I think it's going to be an electric environment. Um, this is obviously bigger than this, but I remember I covered the game when uh, Adam Vinatieri came back with the Colts yeah. to, to play the Patriots, and it was you know really fascinating. But it was interesting, you know, Adam for all the clutch kicks he had, Courtney, and delivering those first two Super Bowls, there were a lot of boos. It was yeah. like 50-50, like a lot of boot. I think you're going to see – I think Brady will get a cheer at first, but I think you're going to hear like a lot of booing um, yeah. you know, throughout the game for Tom Brady because the fans here are very loyal to their team, and he's not on their yeah. team anymore. So – and I think you're going to see Tom uh, be emotional, and I would not be surprised if, if, if Brady and Belichick sort of had a very quick embrace – at midfield, like before the game, not right before the game, but like in warmups, yeah, yeah. one of them ventured over to the other and there was sort of like a handshake and a half hug and maybe a few words and just to kind of diffuse any tension, which I think both guys have really been doing all week. I know people are upset with what Tom Sr. said and Alex Guerrero, but if you listen to what Tom has said and you listen to what Bill has said, I think the two guys have both really taken the high road and been very, I think, respectful, even wistful about their time together and, and very complimentary of each other, even though they want to, you know, beat each other's brains in on Sunday, two of the most competitive people in the world going against each other. So it should be fun. I mean, I feel like, I feel like lost in all of this sauce is a rookie quarterback <laughs> coming off of a three interception embarrassment game and looking to prove himself. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point. Not all those interceptions were his fault. You know, it's a tough spot for Mac because yeah. he's there's there's a natural quarterback comparison there, whether that's fair or not, and it's not. And it's not, as the Patriots have been saying all week, it's not, you know, Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick or, or Tom Brady versus Mac Jones. It's, it's a Buccaneers versus the Patriots. But I think yeah. this is going to be a measuring stick game for Mac. You know, I've heard a lot of positive things about Mac Jones from Patriots people. Um, I'll throw one of them out there. Uh, there are some people in that building that feel like at this stage in his career, Mac Jones is further along in both his preparation and ability to decipher defenses than Tom Brady was in 2001, yeah. which is, I mean, that's big, right? I mean, that's really big. So they really like Mac Jones. Now, I think some of that's unfair. Like, is Mac Jones going to be Tom Brady? I, I, I doubt it. But I think he could be like a Kirk Cousins type of quarterback. You know, that's a guy yeah. who prepares really hard. It's a great question, right? And I asked Josh McDaniels this question, actually, this week, Courtney, with a yeah. great quarterback. It's, it's nature versus nurture. How much is coaching it up and how much is just like innate? Like, for example, with Brady, one of the things Patriots people will tell you they realize very, very early on, 
He has a photographic memory for football. He yeah. can come off the field and you can ask him what happened on the play that just happened. And he can tell you where all 22 guys were. That's very yeah. rare. Like that's not a lot of people can do that. Peyton Manning can do that. I don't know really who else can do that. So Matt Jones can study all he wants, but does he have a photographic memory like that? Probably not. So, you know, that's where it's sort of unfair a little bit to Mac. But to go back to what I said about Josh McDaniels, you know, he basically said it's like the chicken or the egg and that he wouldn't want to take the credit away from the quarterback. And what I would ask you is if 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 it's just the Patriots process and preparation that made Tom Brady Tom Brady, then how come they haven't been able to duplicate it again? I think I'm going to finish you off. This was so great. Uh, Chris Gasper, where can we find you? And uh, do you agree that in order to complete this legacy, this story, Bill Belichick has to win a Super Bowl without Tom? Ooh, okay. So I'll answer that question first. Um, I don't think he has to win a Super Bowl without Tom Brady. I, I think, though, he, he does have to win a playoff game or two in New England. You know, to show yeah. that he can be a real contender. It takes a lot. I mean, there's a lot of luck involved with winning Super Bowls. And what the Patriots did together was remarkable. And, you know, Tom doesn't have the six he has here without Bill. And Bill certainly doesn't have him without Tom. And, yeah. and Bill admitted that. Now, I'm more of a Brady guy, right? And, and, it's, and I'll tell you this just quickly. It's not like, oh, Tom's better than Bill. Philosophically, for me, Courtney, I feel like there's no way you can tell me a player at quarterback, the single most influential position in all of North American professional sports, you can't tell me that a coach can have the same amount of influence. So it's not Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. To me, it's coach versus greatest quarterback of all time. I'm just going to side with the quarterback because I think he can impact winning more. So don't think Bill needs to win a Super Bowl, but, you know, double-digit win season, win a couple of playoff games, I think that helps him. Where can we find you? Are you still at the Saturday show, correct? Yes, uh, you can find me. So first of all, I work at WCVB, Channel 5 no, in Boston. No, so you can my, find my, me. My parents' favorite station. They don't change it. <laughs> uh, so you can find me there at WCVB or WCVB.com. You can find me on social media, Twitter, at C. Gasper, Instagram, at C. Gasper Sports. And then I also work for 98.5 The Sports Hub. On Fridays, I'm on with Felger and Maz, and I host my own show, uh, co-host on Saturdays with Big Jim Murray. That's Gasper and Murray from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on 98.5 The Sports Hub and and Patriots and preview uh, on 98.5 The Sports Hub with Mark Bertrand before every Patriots game. So I got a lot going on. By the way, I have to say I'm definitely feeling the Gossip Girl headband you're rocking. I like that. <laughs> Listen, it's fall. I had to pull. I had to pull out some sort of fall attire. It was like the the sweaters that I've had for three years. I was like, <laughs> greasy hair. Let's go. Let's do it. Very, very, have... very Blair Waldorf of you. Oh, thank you so much. It goes well <laughs> with my my varsity letters that are behind me, displayed so proudly. The Take Five podcast too. That's oh how yes, I, I forgot. Do. Yes, 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 yeah. It's the Take Five podcast I do for WCVB. Yeah, and you can find that on WCVB.com or where you get your podcasts. Well, that was so robust and great. And I just feel like I'm not doing enough in my life. So Chris Gasper, I mean, just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm stealing that book, by the way. I'm yes, going yes you can borrow. Feel free. Feel free, Court. All right. Thank you so much. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.